please be aware that the comments, views, opinions shared on this podcast are not meant to diagnose a medical problem and or legal problem. If you do have a medical problem or legal problem, kindly contact a professional. Welcome to An Apple A Day, a podcast, a resource, a community. Share your experiences and learn from others as we overcome barriers and learn to live a happy, healthy life with a disability. Welcome to the community. Here's your host, Jimmy Apple. Welcome to another episode of An Apple a Day. I'm your host, Jimmy Apple. An Apple a Day is brought to you by www.famousapple.com. Okay, now I want to ask you, have you decorated? Did you put up your tree yet? Did you decorate the windows? No, it's not Christmas. This is actually Social Security Month. April is Social Security Month. That's right. Time to celebrate. (laughs) And I've never heard of it before, to be honest with you. (laughs) I got an email from the Social Security Department because I use them for research for the podcast and and for the website. And it says it's this is April is Social Security Month. So I figured I better decorate. Got to celebrate. Going to have the family over, family meal. I don't know. They have a month and a day for everything, it seems, anymore. But it's all right. I'll take Social Security Month. How are you feeling, my friends? Uh, you feeling good? You feeling strong? Have you been doing what the doctor tells you? You taking your medication the way you're supposed to? That's good. That's good. Remember, you are the one who's responsible for your health. Nobody else. Doctors are only there to assist, but you are the one who's going to make yourself better or make yourself worse. Listen to what the doctors tell you. And take it from there. Well, we got a good one for you this week. I do want to apologize for not having the earlier one this week, the little teaser for Friday. I've had a problem the last couple of months. I've been falling down a lot. Not falling down drunk, just falling down. I don't know how it happens. All I know is that I get, I go up a step and everything goes black. And next thing I know, I'm laying down the bottom of the step. So I've gone to the emergency room several times. They told me to follow up with the neurologist, which I have. And thankfully, they couldn't find another stroke because that's what I was afraid of. I was afraid that I I had had another stroke. And they said no, but now they're going to run these tests on me because finally, I have one doctor that came up with something to actually look at and not say, well, I don't know. And she told me that this could very well be sleep apnea. And I was like, what? Sleep apnea? I'm awake. It's not like I'm sleeping and this happens. She goes, sleep apnea can affect you while you're awake. Now, she says, were you ever diagnosed with it? And I was. I was diagnosed with it years ago. And I tried using that CPAP machine. And they give you this this, uh, mask that goes over your nose. You look like a fighter pilot, really. And and, uh, that's probably one of the most difficult things I ever tried to use. Because what it does is it forces air into your nose. And if you open your mouth, it's like a circle. It goes into your nose, it comes out through your mouth. You have to keep your mouth shut. And I, I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut anyway. But this here, I couldn't sleep. I'd put it on and I'd get maybe 15 minutes into my sleep and I'd be waking up because I opened my mouth open. Then now I got this air rushing through my, through my nose and out my mouth and it was just very uncomfortable. So I told this to the doctor. The doctor got, gave me another prescription for a full mask, you know, it goes over your nose and your mouth, which did make it a lot easier. But the only thing was I, I was doing this. I was doing it for a few months and I went to the doctor and I said, you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to feel from this. 
but I'm not feeling anything from it. It's just a, a royal pain in the butt when I'm going to sleep. And after a while, he said, well, if, you, if you're not getting any relief and it's making you feel more nervous, stop using it, which is what I did. And now here I am six years later, and they're telling me the sleep apnea may be affecting my waking hours now. Now, when I went for my first sleep test, they did tell me I stopped breathing. Sleep apnea means you stop breathing for a couple of seconds. And when I went for my first sleep test, I stopped breathing over 100 times in one night. So they were concerned about it. But then the doctor didn't seem so concerned. So I was fine with it. I'd rather not have that mask on anyway. Now I here I am six years later, and they're telling me this could be affecting me during my awake hours. And I found that hard to believe. But then the doctor went on to tell me she has patients that have, have to use the sleep apnea machine 24 hours a day. And I was like, how is that even possible? I said, you mean to tell me I'm supposed to to stay in bed 24 hours a day with this? She says, no, they have these portable machines that you carry around with you. I said, you think I'm walking around with the, that mask on my face? I look like a fighter pilot that forgot to take my equipment off. She says, you have to do it. If you have to do it, you have to do it. She said, the other thing they're checking me for is epilepsy. I said, I never had epilepsy. She says, you could be having seizures. And I, I'm beside myself. Now what they're doing is they're going to put me in the hospital for three or four days and they're going to run tests. And mostly what it is, is they're going to run tests on my sleeping. They're going to have me hooked up to the electrodes for my heart, you know, the EKG. They're going to have me hooked up for EMGs. They're going to have me hooked up for brain waves. I'm sure they're not going to find anything there. And they're going to have me doing this sleep without the machine and sleep with the machine on. And it's, it's a whole big procedure. Uh, it's not a procedure. It's a process. And it takes three or four days for them to do it. I'm going to be in this unit called the EMU unit, the Epilepsy Monitoring Unit. And I just don't like that word, epilepsy. Uh, I've never had it, never even thought I had it. No doctor has ever said I might have had it before, but you know what? It has to get done. It has to get done. So I'll, I'll go for it. Not a big thing. But I just wanted to let you know why I didn't do the, the earlier tidbit show that I do on Mondays and Tuesdays. But we're back here. Today is Friday. So this is going out to you today. Now, here's something else that I want to talk to you about. And these are pretty serious to me because these people are nervous. I got two letters this past week, two emails. And both people asked me not to use personal information about them, but they gave me the okay to use it on the podcast, just not the personal information. So the first fellow that sent me the email, his name is Tom. That is his actual real name. And he's from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Tom is nervous because his doctor wants him to have a stress test. He's scheduled to have the stress test this coming Monday, and he's nervous about it. He's never had a stress test before. He, he thought stress tests were for older people, <laughs> such as myself. And he's worried because he's, the doctor explained to him, and I think this is pretty good of his doctor, explained everything to him. And what he thought, he explained to him that he may have to do an angiogram after this. He may end up having to put a stent in it, depending on if they find a blockage. And Tom is naturally worried about it. And he's worrying about something that he shouldn't be worried about yet. And this is what I told him when I wrote him back. He's worried about having a catheterization done. And I told him, actually... The stress test is, is worse than the catheterization. And I said, the stress test is nothing. If you've, if you've ever walked up a hill and down a hill 
And if you've ever run, there's your stress test. They're going to put connections on you, and they're going to have you do this running, and they're going to do EKG while you're doing it. And then once you get your heart rate up to where it has to be, they're going to take some pictures, and then they're going to tell you to rest for a couple of hours, you know, go out and get something to eat or something, and come back, and they're going to take pictures of your heart at rest. And they can tell then, they they can't tell proof positive, but they can tell then, uh, you might have a blockage and need a stent, or they're not sure, and they're going to have to do an angiogram. And if you do need a stent during the angiogram, they can put it right in at the same time. So he wanted to know, he's he's scared to death because he says, don't they have to go through your groin for that? And I sympathize with him because when I had my first couple of catheterizations, that's the only way they could go in was through your groin. And the first time, oh my God, any guy will tell you, they're going to go down there and they're going to shave you and they're going to stick a wire through your groin. Just that, just saying it right now makes me cringe but uh it's not it's not that bad even if they have to go through your groin you 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 have a sedative in you and you have anesthesia and you also have a painkiller topical painkiller in that area so the only thing you actually feel and you only feel it for for a brief couple of seconds is you feel some pressure there but you have twilight anesthesia and they go in they do it there's no pain involved like i said you get the pressure And when they're done, they take it out. They put a pressure wrap on your groin and that's it. But now, and they've done it to me the last few times, they can go through your wrist. This is the best thing that I can think of since iced tea. They numb up your wrist like they do in your groin. They numb it up, and then they you feel a little bit of pressure on your wrist, and they're in. They go in. They do what they have to do. Each time I've had it done, I've had to have a stent put in lately, and they put the stent right in. No problems. You wake up. You're in the recovery room, and you have what looks like a, a watch on your wrist. And what that is, that's a pressure wrap in it. Believe it or not, it's like a little balloon that they have, and they blow it up, and it puts the pressure on your wrist. And you have to keep it on for a few hours. You go back up to your room. Like I had my last one done at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I went back up to the room at 7 o'clock that night. They took it off. And you have a bandage on your wrist then. And you keep it on for a few days and there you go. Now the only thing is, is after you have that done, whether you have it in in the groin or you have it in the wrist, you can't lift up anything heavy like over 5 pounds. And unfortunately, what was harder for me than the whole thing, the whole procedure and everything was, I couldn't drive for 7 to 10 days. (laughs) They don't, they don't want you to drive because, well, naturally, you just had a, a wire inside your heart or you just had a stent put in, so they don't want you to drive. But that's it. You go back to normal. In 10 days, you feel like nothing happened. That's it. You know, I'm done. I can drive again. I can move around. I'm not stuck anywhere. And you feel good. And believe me, in 10 days, you forget it even happened. So, Tom, don't worry. I know in the first couple of times that I had it done, believe me, I worried. And then after it was all done, I worried for nothing. I mean, I'm not saying the catheterization is nothing. You're actually having a cable put into you. You might have a stent put into you if it comes to that. But there are worse things that could happen. Trust me. And for me, being a big chicken, (laughs) it was nothing. Okay? Now, please, I sent you the email with what we were talking about. I also put my phone number in there. I'd like to hear from you, whether by email or give me a call. Or if you just want to talk, you can give me a call. But please, after it's all done, just give me a, a shout out, either by phone or by email. Let me know how you did, how you're feeling. Okay, buddy? But like I said, don't lose sleep over this. It's not that bad. Like I said, the stress test, <laughs> the stress test is worse than the catheterization, trust me. And the stress test is nothing. Okay? 
Now, the second one comes from Emily. She's from San Diego, California, and she unfortunately has to go for a below-the-knee amputation on the right leg. That's because of diabetes. She started out with a little wound on the bottom of her foot, and she thought it was a blister. I can sympathize with that. That's what happened to me. But she thought it was a blister, and she let it go. She didn't say anything, and she noticed after a couple of days, this blister was getting really funky. So she went to the doctor, and the doctor dressed it, what he had to do, and she had to come back. She went to the wound care. She had to come back the following week. When she came back, the doctor noticed that this wound had gotten bigger, and now she had another one starting up by her toes. And so they dressed it again. They debrided it and everything, and she came back in a week, and again, he noticed that both of them got had gotten bigger. And they're trying whatever they can with the with the medication. And she started breaking out on the top of her foot, like where the ankle meets the foot. And she started getting wounds there. And finally, the wound care doctor sent her over to a surgeon for a, a consult. And it came down to it that they told her she's going to have to have it amputated because the infection's going into her bone now. And that's one of the terrible things, terrible, terrible things about diabetes. So now they're, they're setting it up for her to go for this amputation and rightfully so she's scared to death and i guess she heard me talking about it here so she just sent sent an email and we've been going back and forth for the last week or so about it and i just want to make her feel a little bit better here when i first knew about it i had almost two months before the amputation from when the doctor told me they were going to have to amputate until the actual date of the surgery i had two months in that time though and i suggested it to emily go get a second opinion get a second if for no other reason just to put your mind at ease get a second opinion i did it i held out this hope that the second opinion was going to tell me something different but he didn't so actually even though he didn't tell me something different it made me feel a little bit better knowing that two people concurred and i went for it now i'm not going to tell you I'm not going to lie to you and say you're going to walk out of this and it's going to feel like nothing ever happened. It's going to hurt. It's not going to hurt as bad as you're imagining at the moment, but it will hurt. I mean, if you cut yourself, if you got got a bad cut that hurt, this is the same thing. I mean, a little bit more than a cut, but you, it's not, not so much that it's going to kill you, all right? You have good pain medication that they give you afterwards, and it's not as bad as you think. I know for me, when I was told I had to have it done and I had two months, that was two months of hell. Two months of hell that I went through because my imagination was running wild. I didn't know what to, what it was gonna, what was gonna happen. I didn't know anyone else at that point that had an amputation. I had a lot of good people giving me suggestions, but they were giving me suggestions and didn't know anything about it. So I mean, I took, I took some comfort in what they were saying, and I know they were saying it because they liked me and they wanted me not to worry. But I worried. And then, now I'm gonna warn you about this. A couple of days before my surgery the doctor that was doing the doing the operation they hooked me up with a person that already had it done and they call it a mentoring program and a woman she called me and she at first she's telling me you know she went through it and not to worry because she worried the same thing i'm telling you right now but then this nut job starts telling me I had an infection. I still haven't got my prosthetic yet. And she had the she had the surgery over a year ago at that point. And it's terrible and it's painful and it's draining. I'm listening to this. I wanted to put an ice pick in my ear. I I couldn't stomach what she was telling me. I just finally told her. I said, I got to go. Thanks for calling. Bang. I hung up. The next day I spoke to the doctor's office. I said, why do you have this woman talk to me? 
And she was like, why? I said, and I told her everything she said. And she goes, I'm so sorry. I'll have someone else call. I said, don't, don't have anyone else call me. I'll deal with this. And I did. I dealt with it. And it wasn't half as bad. Not half as bad as what I was thinking, what I was feeling, what I was dreading for the last two months. It wasn't half as bad. Not even half as bad. It was difficult to... You know, to accept, it was more mentally difficult, I think, for me to accept. But when it was said and done, you may need to talk to someone when it's done. But the day, like the day of the surgery, I'll tell you what, the day of the surgery, for some reason, I had this, this calmness over me. And I got to the, got to the hospital. It was when I changed out of my clothes and got into bed that it hit me that I'm having this done. And they seen I was nervous and they come in and they give you a shot, you know, something to calm you down. And it did, it calmed me down. And (laughs) then the nurse comes in and they're getting ready and she says, she hands me a magic marker and she says, put an X uh, on the leg that we're doing that that we're going to be working on. And I looked at her, I said, put an X on it. Don't you people know what leg you're doing this to? And she just laughed. I laughed and she said, this is just, you're, you're giving us your signature. You're, you're giving us the okay to work on that leg. And I was like, wow. Okay. But that was kind of unsettling to be honest with you at that point. But I understood what she was saying. And I've heard from other people now how they, they did it to them too. But anyway, gave you, they gave you a shot and you really start feeling pretty calm. It calms you down tremendously. And then they come in with the paperwork that you have to sign. They more or less go over the surgery with you again. They've gone over it with you, I'm sure, probably 10 times already. They're going to go over it with you again the day of the surgery. And you're going to sign, giving you permission for it to be done. And they start preparing you. In my case, they had to shave the bottom of my leg. And that makes it kind of real. I think that kind of made it kind of real for me that this is happening. But again, I had that shot in me. It really wasn't too bad. Now, I do have a problem with anesthesia. So my throat closes up when I go under anesthesia. So they have to intubate me before or, which is a problem, or... They have to do it once a pro, you know, once a problem starts. I'd rather it be done before it. But so what they did though is they gave me an epidural. Now that was something else. They they told me this the day of the surgery. I was getting an epidural. Now if you ever spoke to a woman that was pregnant, <laughs> and the woman got an epidural, she tells you, "Oh my God, the." pain, the pain from it. Well, I'm not going to say that the, that she was lying. All I know is that they told me they were going to give me an epidural and they did, but they give you a little numbing agent first and you're already feeling like you're in twilight somewhere. They give you a little bit of gas before they start and they gave me an epidural. Didn't even know they did it. But then the nurse says, and I remember her saying this clear as day, I'm sorry, honey, we have to do it again. And I was feeling like, oh, go ahead. <laughs> Let's do it again. I'm apologizing to her because she has to do it again. But when they said that epidural, I panicked. I panicked only to find out, I don't even remember it. Now, people will tell you, oh, it's the pain, the... Yeah, it does hurt. I'm not going to lie to you about that. But it doesn't hurt like people make it sound. It doesn't, it's not, I don't know, it's not at death's door. It hurts, yes. I've heard people tell you, oh my God. God, it's the worst thing you're ever going to feel. But how would they know? They've never been through it. But uh, I will say this. It it hurts, but it's not as bad as people made it out. And hopefully you have better friends than I did at the time because each one of them would give me horror stories that they know of someone else. Hey, I don't want to hear from you that you know of someone else. Get the person that went through it and let them tell me, you know. And uh, you're going to feel it afterwards, no doubt. But it's not 
not the worst thing in the world that could happen. I mean, it would definitely hurt more if you got hit by a car somewhere. So, but they give you painkillers. I was getting morphine after the surgery. And by the time I was in the hospital, I think it was five days. By the time they were moving me from the medical hospital over to the rehab hospital, I really didn't feel it. I mean, if I banged it or someone banged it on me, yeah, I felt it then. But I still had the staples in my leg and everything else. But I went to rehab and I was working in rehab and you really don't even feel it anymore. So you're still on painkillers. Yeah, you're going to be on painkillers for a little bit. But I will I will tell you this too. I really didn't need painkillers uh, after a couple of days in, uh, in the rehab hospital. And I told that to the doctor that takes care of you in there. I said, I really don't need the painkillers. And what she told me is take one before you go down for your rehab classes. And this way you won't be chasing the pain after. So I did that. I took one and that took care of the pain from the rehab because they put you through your paces there. And I didn't need to take it at night because of that. And that's the other thing. The rehab hospital, when they first told me about that, I thought it was I thought it was basic training in the Marine Corps. You know, I thought I was going to Paris Island, but it's not that bad. So Emily, I, I feel for you going for it. It's it's worse what you're thinking. What you're thinking in your mind, it's 10 times worse in your mind than what it is. And you'll get used to it. I mean, it's not something that you'd voluntarily go for. I know I wouldn't, but you'll get used to it and you'll see. The worst thing about it after it's all done is you get the phantom pain. People think that phantom pain is all in your mind. It's not because what you have to remember when they do the amputation, they have to wrap everything up into the residual limb. So the nerves that you had below the knee are wrapped now into your residual limb. So the, the nerves are still giving off the pain prompts for your foot. So every so often, I'm going to tell you, you're going to feel your foot. Just remember, it's not there. I mean, I had a couple of incidents where I felt my foot. I woke up in the morning. I was in pain with my foot, and I went to get up, and I didn't have a foot, so I went down on it. That hurts. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that hurts, but it's not as bad as you think. When you go get fitted for your, for your prosthetic, believe me, you're going, to th- you're going to think this is second nature. Yeah, it, just keep a positive attitude. And remember, and I know I say this a lot, it can always be worse. Remember that. Um, what I do want to tell you, though, like I told Tom, and I'm going to remind both of you, I gave you my phone number in the email as well. If you guys want to talk before the procedure, call me up, send me an email. But no matter what, if you don't want to before it, please, please call me after it or please send me an email after it because I'd like to share with the rest of the people in our little community here. Everybody's pulling for you. Everyone's hoping that you're going to come through it and there's no problems and you're going to be back on your feet, so to speak, in a couple of days after it. Everyone's everyone's keeping in their thoughts and in their prayers. I know I am, definitely. So please let me know after so I can update the other people in our little community here. So I, we've, I run a little bit long on this. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break here and we'll be back in 30 seconds. An Apple a Day is brought to you by www.famousapple.com. Famousapple.com is the home site for this podcast. There you're going to find articles about the topics we discuss. You're going to find our connections to our Facebook page. And you're even going to find connections to our private chat board. So take a minute. Go over. Visit www.famousapple.com. But please wait till the end of this podcast. Don't run out on me now. Let's get back to the discussion. And we're back. 
30 seconds. I told you it was going to be 30 seconds. Look, I'd like to thank you for letting me go on about Tom and Emily there. I hope that they were listening, or they do listen, and I hope it brings them some comfort. And I'd ask everybody, please keep them in your thoughts. Uh, They're part of our community, and we got to stick together. Anyway, moving on here. Since this is Social Security Month, I'd like to bring up a couple of items regarding Social Security. Now, as I said, I was in the hospital earlier this week, and while I was there, there were two fellows, they were talking, and evidently they're on disability. And what they were saying is that they can work and and not have a problem with Social Security. And I'm thinking to myself, that's not right. I don't think that's right. And they, uh, one fellow said he's going to be a cashier in a gas station. The other fellow said he's going to work for, I don't know, Burger Joint, McDonald's, Burger King, or something like that. And I'm thinking, no, you can't do that. And I figured they're getting paid under the table. But how do you get paid under the table anymore in this day and age? You, you really can't. And especially if you're working for a gas station or you work for a fast food restaurant. They don't play games like that, but they said they were doing that. Now, I went into the room. I said to my wife, I said, uh, do you believe what they were saying? And she says, what who was saying? My wife doesn't listen. I listen. (laughs) I'm nosy. But anyway, the next day I was sitting in my recliner, I took my laptop and I just did some searching on social security about this. And sure enough, you can make up to $1,180 a month and it won't affect your social security. And I'm thinking to myself, how is that even possible? You're on disability because you can't work. So how are you going to work and collect 1180 bucks? That's a contradiction there. And I just still can't believe it. And I read it in black and white. And you can read it too if you go to ssa.gov and in the search put in disability insurance. I, I just, I, that blew my mind because you're, you're on disability. You got hurt at work. You can't go back to work, but you can go work somewhere else and collect 1180 Now, what I don't understand is when you first get hurt and you first go on disability, the first thing that they do is they tell you about returning to work and they'll put you into training programs and this, that, and the other thing. Now, if these guys are able to go out and make $1,180, why couldn't they go into that training program and go back to work? Does it make sense to you? It doesn't make sense to me, but that's what they say. That's what they say they can do, so that's what they're doing. I don't think it's right. To me, that's just not right. Now, another thing I want to touch on after talking to Emily and talking about her in the first segment, if you're going for surgery, any kind of surgery, whatever it is, going for stomach surgery, you're going for heart surgery, you go for a second opinion. And it's not wrong. You're not insulting your regular doctor by going for that second opinion. You know what? It'll put your mind at ease if both of them agree that you have to have this surgery. But ignoring a second opinion or ignoring the ability to get a second opinion is foolish. The insurance companies let you get a second opinion. So you might as well take advantage of that. Now, one more thing, and I know I've said this before, when you're going to the doctors, if you if your spouse has additional insurance, if it covers you as well, do you know when you go and you have a $30 copay, $20 copay, whatever it is, and you have Medicare, you tell them to bill Medicare for the copay. 
and if there's anything left, tell them to bill you. Because Medicare generally pays 80%. But I haven't had a problem with this in a couple of years. I go to the doctor. They tell me there's a copay. I tell them, put it through Medicare. And they do. They don't argue with me. They say, sure, no problem. So one of the office people told me, oh, yeah, we have people that do that all the time. In the beginning, I felt funny about it, you know. But no, people do it. And even if it's saving you $10, $10 better in your pocket than anybody else's right? You're paying a hundred, between a hundred and nine and a hundred thirty dollars a month for Medicare. Well, use it. See, when, when your spouse has medical insurance and you're covered on it, if they have more than 200 employees, they have to be the primary insurance. So Medicare becomes secondary. So let them pick up the co-pays. All right. Well, again, thank you for bearing with me talking to Tom and Emily. And I'm going to ask you, please keep them in your thoughts and prayers. We're one community here. We're a community of friends. And we have to look out for each other. They're a little bit frightened by what they have to go through. And that's normal. But keep them in your thoughts and prayers. And as soon as I hear anything from either one of them, I'll be back to tell tell what the story is. Hopefully, hopefully I can get one of them, if not both, uh, to come on the podcast. We'll see how they feel. All right. So again, thank you for coming by here today. I will be back next week, early part of the week, Monday or Tuesday, with a a teaser podcast for Friday. We have a good show for next Friday, so make sure you listen to the Monday, Tuesday podcast. It's only going to be five minutes or so, so you're not going to lose any any amount of time with it. And I'll talk to you then. Now, just one more thing. I want to remind you, things can always be worse. Okay? Take care, my friends. Stay strong. And I'll talk to you next time. Have a great, great day. Thanks for listening to An Apple A Day with Jimmy Apple your gateway to a happy, healthy life. Join our community at www.famousapple.com. See you next time.